Hey everyone, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs comes to you live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can catch us on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms, or youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on this episode of Wandering DMs, we'll be giving you help if you're lost in a maze of twisty little passages all alike. Is it fair to spring that on your poor D&D players? Remember, not all who wander are lost. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Before we get into that, I will remind everyone, as always, that at the end of our show, we will be hosting our after-party chat on our Discord server. Uh, That's a live video chat with the two of us and uh, any of our patrons who wish to show up. You can join in by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. We'll look to see you there. Um, So mazes, we it's one of these things that somebody else had to point out to me would make an interesting topic because as usual, I'm like so close to it. I wouldn't even think of this as something to discuss. But um, as some of you know, I'm playing through the AD&D Pool of Radiance game Thursday nights on uh, Games from the Elder Times. And uh, the, the game sort of starts, it starts with a maze in the slums is the very first thing you go into. And it ends with what I'm currently spending week after week trying to get through with this very intricate uh, giant garden, poison garden maze in the final castle. And it's guarded by apparently endless patrols of hill giants and poisonous giant snakes. Um, And it's a bunch of twisted little passages and goes on for blocks and blocks. And also it has teleporters, which I ran into, I didn't discover for, for an exceedingly long time, apparently. So, um, you know, Dan, we had you were mentioning about whether that's good or not. We, 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 were, we were talking just before the show about uh, your experience with Pool of Radiance, and I was originally saying that there are only two mazes in it, because, of course, there's the, the um, pyramid, which is not only a maze, but it is, you know, full of teleporters, and yes. it's, um, and, uh, and specifically, like, they turn off the overhead map. Right, they turn off the overhead map, so you, all you have to go by is the 3D view, and you basically have to sit there with graph paper and draw it out yourself. Um, and that's similar to the section you're in right now, which is even more maze-like because it's a classic hedge maze, right? It's like you're in a hedge maze, right? <laughs> um, and then, but now I'm remembering. Actually, you mentioned the slums. I totally forgot. Actually, there's a section in the south end of the slums where they also turn. Right. right? Yeah, I can't remember what that was called, the, the, the Rope Guild or something like that, right? And yeah, yeah. There's a, it's a small section, but it's definitely there. And so right. clearly clearly they were leaning into the, okay, in order this, for this to feel like D&D, we have to have a section where the player is required to get out their graph paper and, and, and figure out the layout. Yep, yep, exactly. So it's interesting that they, they kind of uh, bookend the game. They start with it, they end with it, and there's the really bad super teleporter pyramid thing in the middle. Um, which is actually, I guess it's just exactly, the, the pyramid is exactly the middle point because that's the point where they ask for copy protection halfway through mm. the game. So it's like, mm, those are your three tent poles with these mazy labyrinths that you need you need graphic as a, paper for. That's a good point, actually. As a player of the game, then, what did you think of those sections? Okay, so when I, when I take my step, my first step into the first level of the slums, like I assumed 
uh, oh, the whole game's gonna be like this. I have to get graph paper. And even where they show you an overhead map, they don't show you where their doors are. So it's this really intricate cluster of boxes that I do have to, to hunt for how to get through it, uh, mm. even before they take the overhead map away. So I was like, yeah, this is classic d and I need graph paper. This is what the whole game's gonna be like. And I was actually surprised on the second block when it stopped being that. Um, so I'm okay with point. it. I'm I guess, comfortable with it. I guess, I guess that's a good point that like in terms of just like density of rooms and passages, the, the first section, the slums is probably, you know, much more dense than any of the other subsequent parts of the game. All the, the uh, most of the other places, the blocks have rather clear, uh, pathways <laughs> from one end to the other. And they, they might have cells of encounters you could go into, but most everything else has a clear kind of like a like a mall, frankly, aspect of you could you could you could clearly there's a central pathway that you could go from from one place to another. But the the first the first place, the slums, there's no there's no obvious way of how you're going to get in or out. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is, I always felt like um, my 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 impression of this and this is probably totally um this is pure conjecture and probably completely untrue but my 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 read of it was i'd always sort of felt like oh they just they just like like with any game they paid way more attention to the first level right they're like this is the first experience the player's gonna have yeah. so they put yep. more stuff in there they paid more attention to it and then they just got lazy i feel like in the later levels like there's so many sections okay. of that game where there's the you know like i'm thinking of like i don't know um um like the the part around the well, right? Where there's there's a lot of buildings, yeah. but most of them are empty, right? And there's just a lot a of empty point. space in a lot of the game. Which... Yeah. Now that is true to early D and D. Um, the earliest, yeah. um, and this is something that we debate back and forth. Of course, uh, the, the 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 initial uh, you know D and D book recommended maybe monsters in a third of the rooms or twenty percent of the rooms. And the vast majority of them empty, and we, you know, people debate about whether empty really means empty or not. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but that that too is um, uh, conventional, admittedly. But but and yet, nonetheless, kind of surprising. When I go through uh, many of these buildings in Pool of Radiance, I am kind of surprised that they are that so many of them are empty. Yeah, yeah, I find that sometimes pleasantly surprised. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? So good. So did you enjoy getting out the graph paper and, and solving those those levels? Okay. Part of my feeling now, right, on the, the debate about mazes and, uh, you know, like the I, I think pretty close to the first mass-produced computer game I ever made, I ever played was Zork um, on uh, some kind of old Microsoft machine, I think. Um, uh, which, which has a maze, which has an important maze section. And of course, the first thing I said at the top of the show refers back that you get into this and it says you are in a maze of twisty little passages all alike. And A, you need light or you're going to be immediately eaten by an unseen Gru. And two, uh, in Zork, the cells don't link up predictably. So if I'm in they have a whole bunch of cells with the exact same description, right? So there's no there's mm -hmm. no descriptor to tell them. They're all literally identical. Mm -hmm. And if you if you're in a space and you go east 
and then you go west, you don't wind up back where you came from. It's it's a bunch of random Oof, in the computer game. Rough. It's a bunch of right. It's a bunch of random yeah. connections. Mm -hmm. um, so you might need to go east, east, and north, and then you're back where you came from, or something like that. And uh, so, of course, so do you remember what the everybody remember what the trick was to to navigate that that maze in Zork? Should I spoil this? Uh, Should I spoil a sixty year old game? I, I think I think you can spoil it, Dan. I I never really got into Zork myself, so I don't I don't know the answer to this. So you need to okay. So spoiler: turn the turn the show off if you if you have yet to to play through Zork Part One. Is and it, you know and again it's it's one of these things where there's no at the time there's no help books there's no internet there's you like you just you just have to figure it out yourself. Is if you get random inventory items and you drop them in the the rooms, now you have a marker for which rooms are different from others, and that's actually gotcha. non-trivial because there's not a hell of a lot of inventory stuff to carry around and drop in the game. So you actually have to go hunting for quite a bit of stuff. Uh, drop it all, litter it all through the maze. And if I recall correctly, I even then I didn't have enough to actually put in every room. So I had to deduce some of the connections to get through the other side. So I think part of my feeling is that's kind of a warm, fuzzy experience that I had as, as a single player, right? Mm -hmm. As one player on my own with all the time in the world and nobody looking over my shoulder. And with Pool of Radiance, um, I think I do uh, get some entertainment, um, you know, challenge, mental challenge value out of it. I'm not sure it makes for the greatest streaming experience when I'm in those locations with other people watching. The pacing mm -hmm. might be a little weird as, as a streaming experience. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, is this, is this good for other people to watch? I'm not entirely sure, but honestly, if I was off stream entirely on my own, I'd be happy as a clam, frankly. Yeah. Now, there's an interesting parallel there to how this works at the table in a D&D game, right? Because uh, I think like many puzzles, and we talked about this in puzzles, and we probably talked about this in the mapping episode, um, that, you know, you've usually got one player who's nominated mapper, right? They've got their mm -hmm. graph paper out and they're drawing. And so most of that, especially when it's like, you know, when there's not things to interpret, right? There's not set dressing or puzzles of or room contents or monsters to fight or whatever, then it just becomes a back and forth between the DM and the mapper and everyone else is kind of passive, um, which I think is a problem. I think that's a problem in the game. Um, I, do, I do like the mapping moments when the players have explored the majority of the space and then now let's put the map in the middle of the table and it's all pour over it and try to figure out the secrets, right? Like, okay, we've heard that this thing exists somewhere in this level and we haven't found it. Let's look for gaps and let's figure out where maybe secret doors are. Let's let's try to let's make some conjecture about the contents of the rooms and why it was laid out this way. That I enjoy. Um, but I would say just the straightforward like, oh, you know, come to another, you know, four-way intersection. You can go left, right, or up. Uh, left, left, right, or yeah, or forward. <laughs> maybe up. Oh. Yeah, maybe up, depending on, yeah, yeah. I'm literally visualizing the graph paper in my head as I'm trying to describe this, right? <laughs> of that, course. That, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, that too much of that gets tedious very quickly. 
I think, I mean, I feel like this is really helpful for me to reflect on this this weekend, actually, when we decided to discuss this, because I think this is the, the core, I think this is the key issue with mazes, is uh, the, the and, and I've, I've made this error, I, I haven't, I can't say as I've, I've perfectly fixed it in my games, but I still, without even saying it, usually there's some, there's one person that takes the responsibility of maps that I will be the mapper, mm-hmm. you know, taking the parent burden from other people. Um, nowadays, I guess I would say. And uh, the, the, this, this is exactly the problem of it devolving to just one people, one person being engaged. So I feel like however you address this issue, the answer has got to be, how do you engage everybody at the table? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's true. Now, you you think is are are you suggesting that there's a way? Is there a way with standard like there's a mazy section? How do I engage everyone in this activity of solving the maze? I, I think there's some room for exploration here, and you know, partly what I partly what I want to emphasize is, and and this this very much addresses our prior conversations about mapping and stuff like that, and and part of the thing that has is is clear to me thinking about this today is that you know mazes finding your way through a labyrinth mm-hmm. arguably is the core gameplay of D at the outset beyond you know aside from your character class your ability scores your spells your magic items the, the core gameplay when D started was specifically puzzling through a confusing labyrinth that that is the promise of early D and and I've seen uh, someone like uh, Mike Mornard, who was a player who played uh, both in uh, Gary Gygax's Greyhawk game and Dave Arneson's Blackmore game, recollecting fondly that his 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 early games with, with Gary, of course, is the DM is verbally describing stuff and the players are mapping. Is all of the players, according to Mornard's recollection, are crouched. Uh, eagerly around the table, around the map, uh, collectively, and they are sweating bullets, and they are they are laser focused, and they are super intense, and they're all sweating bullets at the prospect of getting the map slightly wrong, going down like uh, the wrong passageway, getting into a dead end, and getting trapped by wandering monsters. That was the gameplay, and so to someone like uh, to Mr. Mornard. As, as the game kind of moves away from that, he feels a huge loss. He feels a huge loss that he's never been so engaged in a role-playing game as this. We must, we must pay attention together and puzzle out this labyrinth or we're going to die. That's what D&D is to those, those early players. Um, hmm. So according to those recollections, that was the very essence of D&D is to be collectively trying to puzzle your way through a labyrinth. Um, maybe we can bring that back. Mm. Mm. I, I, I definitely agree with, I think, I think, um, I think maybe Matt Finch had written about how, uh, probably in the, in the old school primer, uh, about how the focus of old school D and D is more exploration, right? That, um, and th- and that that has changed over the years, and and I agree with that. I I do believe that the focus of of and the enjoyment for me of early D and D is uh, is exploration. But 
I feel like I enjoy the exploration when um, when there's conjecture about the location, right? And 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 I I don't like it when it's just twisted passages that all look alike, right? Like that becomes tedious to me. When there's stuff, when when thought has been put into this structure was built this way for a reason, and there is evidence of that reason, and somehow figuring out the reason is at least enjoyable, if not actually important to solving or fulfilling whatever goal the players have for being there in the first place, that's that's where it becomes enjoyable to me. And I would say more often that happens, um, you know, in, in stuff that's not mazy because who the hell builds a maze? Like, you know, unless we're talking about like in reality, right? Who builds a maze? <laughs> you know, unless you're talking about hedge mazes in, in some, you know, fancy estate or, you know, corn maze in a county fair. I, I can't think of a case where people actually build these things. The, I mean, the, uh, got uh, got it got to embrace uh, what you just said. Um, yeah. And I think we know that those those for what it's worth, those considerations were not simply not on the table at the outset when D&D was invented. It was yep. we we enjoy we fundamentally do enjoy puzzling through a labyrinth. That's the game that we made. Um, yep. And, you know, concerns about what, why or why is this? Why is this here? Because there's a crazy wizard. That's why. <laughs> um, and he's insane, um, yeah. and all, all of that for multiple reasons uh, is um, you know less marketable these days. <laughs> okay. okay, let me you know let me just just to touch on uh, two things you said. I found a really interesting uh, quote from uh, from Mike Mornard again on the, uh, the OD&D 74 forums. And very similar to what you said earlier, Paul. Um, so Mike was recalling, again, these conversations about, uh, can you have a maze? What's the dungeon like? How much stuff is, you know, how much content is in the dungeon? It, who should be mapping? Should a map be made by the players and stuff like that? And uh, one thing he said is that one element of this traditional style is that you can have hidden things and if the player's map is accurate enough, they can deduce the presence of things they haven't found. Like there must be a secret door either here or here. And he recalls that's how Rob Kuntz got his staff of wizardry. He deduced the location of the treasure and still had to spend two and a half real hours searching for a secret door to find it. Now, so we can we can converse about whether uh, um, having already made the map and having already deduced where there's going to be a secret room, if two and a half hours of actual real play to get the secret door is palatable or not. But one thing I take away from that is I believe that's a situation where Rob Kuntz was playing alone, right? So that's mm -hmm. so he's talking about Rob Kuntz in the singular. There's a lot of stories of uh, Rob Kuntz with his uh, character Robolar, maybe with some henchmen, playing solo with Gary as the DM, and so once again, that seems to highlight, they, it seemed like they were, they found that worthwhile, but again, that was a solo player happening. And maybe if there'd been other people docile, that wouldn't have been a story to remember. That's interesting. That is interesting. Um, you know, so, so is, you know, is the thrust here that basically this 
it this focus on mazes exists specifically to entertain Mike Mornard. Is that, is that what we're saying? <laughs> or Rob Kings. <laughs> or Rob Kings. Sorry. Uh, right. Right. Those two individuals just enjoyed mazes, and maybe they would have been just as happy to be handed a, a book of mazes and a pencil. Uh, I, I think I think they they would not be uh, that entertained because death was not on the line. Yeah, okay. I think they I think they're 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 very they're they're very much on the record of like the game is only interesting if death is on the line, and that that actually is a direct quote right out of the original D and D first publication. It says the really the interesting thing here is when death is 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 possible. Uh, let me pull up. Let me just look at. I'd like to look at if you can pull up an image that I have um, that has the orange that's orange coated. Got an orange dot uh, on top, right? Oh nope, that's red. Uh, oh, oh, the 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 map. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the. So I pulled up my uh, Dungeons and Dragons dungeon geomorphs, right from the late seventies, and um, oh, that's the wrong. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong one. Hang on. You you have that. That's your that's yours. So um, we just, we briefly saw the the map from uh, In Search of the Unknown there just for a second. Yeah. So what I pulled yeah. up we'll talk about that was, and this is before they were publishing uh, complete yeah. modules actually. Um, this is the first page of Gary Gygax's Dungeon Geomorphs, and mm -hmm. this, for what it's worth, this was you could get this on your own on its own. This was included in the D and D Basic set before Module B one or B two were written, and so this is a, this provides you an example. And you could you could cut it out, you could chop it up, you could add doors, you could you know subtract passageways of what a dungeon should look like. And specifically, this is the Basic Dungeon set. This is the basic dungeon set of what you would expect to see on the first or second or third level of your dungeon. This is a normal dungeon setup, and it looks a lot like we know uh, his uh, Greyhawk dungeon first level looks like. It looks a lot like um, Expedition of the Berry Peaks, things like that. Um, looks a lot like In Search of the Unknown. And, I mean, it's just a basic dungeon. It's basically a maze. I mean, more or less, we mm -hmm. can agree it's... It's effectively the default is effectively a mazy labyrinth, and most of the early dungeons from those guys all look like this. Um, so it's it's interesting that that's kind of the that's your default expectation, like this, or steading of the hill giant chief kind of looks like this. Frankly, there yep. is there is a bit whereby there tends to be, and I, I tend to think of this as a little bit like a mall. Is there tends to be some rather significant long corridors, right? Usually kind of through the middle of each map, there's like a really long corridor that would allow you to navigate around pretty freely. And then you have these cells of shops <laughs> that you mm -hmm. can decide to go into along the way, more or less. Mm -hmm. So on the mm -hmm. one hand, there's actually quite a bit of freedom of movement if you find the right main passageways. Um, and then a lot of encounters that you could decide to deal with or you could decide to just bypass which arguably makes for some interesting you know play choices about where and when the players interact with your dungeon hmm. spoiler um, dungeon gm if that's if that's an issue to anybody. <laughs> sorry <laughs> did you use these for play dan did you did you stock these and make dungeons i got these late I got these okay. late, so of course, by the time that I got an in D and D, that you know, Gary had written uh, "Keep on the Borderlands." That was what was included in uh, my basic set, okay. and it looks different, right? The Caves of Chaos yep. look very look very different from this. They're 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 
really a lot more linear. Um, yeah. Well, let's a lot let's more take a peek. Um, I kind of kind of accidentally uh, tipped my hat here, but let's take a peek at the the map from V one uh, in search yeah. of the unknown. So this is interesting to me because you mentioned that you're used to B two coming in the basic set, right? As was I. That's what I got in my basic set, mm -hmm. but but. I believe originally B one, right? Didn't B one used to ship in the box set, and then at some point they ship they switched it to B two. I think you're right, briefly, because yeah. the box set became wildly more popular than Gary expected, and he wanted his work in the box later. Yeah, make a long story okay. short. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, okay, so I know this map fairly well from the fact that uh, our friend PJ used to love to run this campus. This module, this was this was his favorite, uh, and he ran it multiple times, and and we talked about it. He and I uh, quite a bit about his experience running it multiple times, and 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 how he changed over the over the over time how he ran it. Um, and the interesting thing is, right? I, as if I recall, now I haven't I haven't read this one closely, mostly because I knew that I was going to be playing it a bunch with BJ, so I would okay. I would purposely avoid reading it. Um, but my understanding is that like there's very little in the actual booklet that's stocked here in this map. That mostly the map, the stocking the dungeon is left as an exercise for the reader to do, the, like as a as a means of teaching. I take okay if I could, if I can jump in. Yeah. I take some people will say that, and I know why. Okay, mm -hmm. I I I put it slight. I would describe it a little bit differently. And I years ago I wrote a blog article about this is uh, the, the Searching Unknown dungeon has very rich dressing. Has, it actually has, ex I would argue, excessively long dressing in all the areas. The only thing that they don't uh, specify is where monsters and treasures are. So usually you'll actually get multiple paragraphs about the, the, the fungus garden room or the, the magical pools room or the, um, the lumber yard or the library or things like that. And then at the end, um, they have like two lines of like, what monster do you want to put here and what treasure do you want to put here? So gotcha. it, okay. it almost has an intimidating amount of dressing. And then the DM does get to decide where the, where the specific monster treasures are. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, that said, if you look at this map, you can see there are a lot of very mazy sections, right? You get the bottom left with this curly Q shape. You've got uh, the the upper right with a whole bunch of rooms and mm -hmm. corridors. Uh, the bottom right, you've got again like long passageways that double back on each other and twist and turn and etc. Um, you have and... an area of like a whole bunch of doors that lead to more doors that lead to more doors. And yeah. if I recall correctly, the the topmost northernmost passage is slanted. So it makes you think that you're walking to another level when you're not, if I recall correctly. Now, um, right. So, so what what I'll point out here is um, in in my discussions with BJ about this, the eventual changes that he made were to simplify the map. That was like okay. a major change okay. he made. Okay. Was that he yep. found that running the game and walking people through exploring the mazy parts was mm -hmm. not fun for anyone at the table himself included um and okay. he eventually ended up eliminating that and trying to he, he i believe i wish i had a copy of it i believe he redrew this map in a in a simplified style to to get rid of a lot of those elements yeah Fascinating. um 
And and I I understand why he would want to do that. I I agree with him that that as a player playing in those sections where it's like, oh gosh, we go another fifty feet and then it turns, we go another fifty feet and it turns, and then and then there's a door and another door and another door, and I'm just like, why? <laughs> right? Uh, and it's interesting to me that then that then this got replaced, right? This got replaced in the box set. Now, okay, is, I, I hadn't thought of the notion yeah. that it was replaced yeah. just so that Gary could get a byline. But um, but it got replaced with a with a with a module that is more in the style of the kinds of things I like, where it's uh, the map is more natural, right? It's got that that uh, so called Gygaxian naturalism, right? Where it's you know it's more thought about like why would they build it this way and why do these rooms exist and and whatnot and who who created this space rather than just let me fill the graph paper with twists and turns. It's certainly a lot, it's a lot simpler. And, um, you know, when you go to, it's funny because G G Gary did have, you know, let me, before I say this, let me just throw up a comment by the chaotic magnet. Um, he, in, in addition to what BJ did, uh, chaotic Matic is recalling that Dyson logos remade the map layout for B1 here. Um, uh, which with, I personally haven't Bolton seen, but now Yeah. 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 So it's funny, uh, you know, Gary, uh, when he made the Geomorphs, for example, um, there were three sets, one, two, three, uh, basic set for upper level stuff like we saw. And then there's Caverns Caves. And then the third set is like uh, uh, really confusing lower levels. But the lower levels actually had more dead space. And they were like kind of weird, like weird geometric shapes. But I almost feel like they actually be on the one hand they're 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 easy they're probably easier to to navigate but less flexibility right as opposed to the, kind of the the top level mall where you can go where you want the lower level constrains you so you're forced to go through the dangerous areas mm -hmm. um and of course the the caves of chaos in the keeping Morelands are caves and i think gary kind of uses his trope for what caves looks like because there's a lot more dead areas there's generally larger areas and therefore not quite as confusing mazy type stuff. So, um, and just coincidentally, what I noticed a couple of years back is that his giant series, G1, G2, G3, maybe just by accident, the maps basically look like his three different tiers of dungeon design. So that, that was more or less what Gary had in his toolbox and it, it comes through maybe by accident or not, but yeah, the Caves of Chaos are much, much simpler. Um, and and most oh, most of his later dungeons were too. <laughs> so is this like, not an argument for eliminating maces? That's that's here. There's my is. my synopsis. It's not insane. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not insane. Before before we commit to that, before we commit to that, yeah. I would like to look at. So I have I have a piece of text. It's got a yellow uh, bullet on it, um, mm -hmm. and it's the this is from original D and D. First publication, this is basically the DM's little booklet on a section on tricks and traps. And again, the top paragraph says, um, you know, besides you know, general monsters and treasures, uh, you can also add other, add other tricks and traps. And it says, the fear of death, the risk each time is one of the most stimulating parts of the game. Of course, you've got to, you've got to have rigorous time records and you must have death on the line. Of course, we all know this. Um, and therefore, it behooves the campaign referee to include as many mystifying and dangerous areas as, as possible. So he's got a little list of, 
um, suggestions for tricks, tricks in D&D. And they are false stairs, uh, steps that lead to a slanting passage, so you're confused about what level you're on, trap steps that go one way and then turn around, so you wanted to go up, but you went down instead, and now you're barred, uh, teleportation areas, sinking rooms, illusions, uh, sections that dead end to trap players uh, by monsters, doors that are one way, uh, natural passages and caverns, which are virtually impossible to accurately map, and space distortion corridors or stairs, which seem longer and shorter than they actually are. Every single thing in the original D&D list of tricks is all mapping tricks. Mm -hmm. The only mm -hmm. thing on his mind, the only thing on the designer's mind as far as tricks in D&D is all mazy mapping confusion things to confuse the mapper. That's it. I mean, um, it's worth pointing out that in the this B1 is, map. Yeah, it's worth pointing out that that's sort of like the major innovation of this game when you uh, compare it to like other board games on the market at the time, right? They're talking about, you know, I think the first thing that comes up is there's no board, right? It's all in your imagination, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and how is it all in your imagination? Because, you know, the DM has a, an image of a thing that they're trying to describe using words that the player then has to retranscribe back into an image. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I will also say that, you know, th there were a number of years at the outset where the idea of pre-published modules was was either unthinkable or anathema um, to they couldn't imagine someone wanting to, to not make their own their own custom dungeon. And when we finally got modules, I sometimes I fear that uh, the designers were jaded at that point. They'd already spent years playing every single night of labyrinth games of smart players getting better and the DM having to throw more and more complicated complications to challenge their mm -hmm. players. And then when we finally get like your beginner, your beginner dungeon, they're already jaded by all this stuff and you just get the full on PhD level challenge, uh, even in your, your beginning dungeons. Like I'll note, I'll note that, and this is something that actually does bother me a little bit, in this list we're looking at right now, the bottom last one, which presumably is like the most complicated one, is space distortion corridors that seem longer or shorter than they actually are. Uh, the Caves of Chaos have that, right? There's a Minotaur cave, which isn't very big on the map, but sure enough, it's magically cursed. So everywhere you go, the, the, the directions and the distance the DM tells you you've gone are just all random bullshit. Nope. Yep. And I'll confess, I mean, I've never I've never understood why that's playable in any way, shape, or form. That that <laughs> actually is completely beyond me. I mean, I'd say the same thing about teleporters, right? That 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 section in Pool of Radiance in the um in the the um pyramid mm -hmm. drove me insane. I mean, that is a break point for me in that game. That is a point where I'm gonna go, ah, I just don't play this anymore. No thanks. Teleporters are amazingly tough, right? They, they, I would, in my list of like things that make mapping complicated, da, 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 like teleporters would be number two worst. And then this just random bullshit <laughs> for, for orientation is the top hard one. At least with the teleporters, like they usually, and this doesn't actually happen in the pyramids, but they usually go to the same place. And the place that it sends you to, it, it, the, the geography itself doesn't change. So like in the pyramid maze, I was able to jigsaw puzzle it back together. I could like when I was going through it in Pool of Radiance, I could go, I could go, well, 
it's probably sitting in one block of territory. The blocks are all 16 by 16. I can go through this little place and that jigsaws together. I bet it's over here. And if I, if I bet they'll, I'm going to, next, I'm going to have to teleport to a room that's like five by six, because that's the space that's left over. Um, mm. Mm. And so I could, I could make the pyramid maze. It was very hard, but I could make it playable um, because at least I was getting legitimate information about whether I was going north or south once I got to a place. Hmm. But yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's just a, a, a personality uh, thing of just a, a personal preference, right? Of like whether or not you enjoy those kinds of challenges or not. Um, I don't recommend yeah. teleporters, right? If you're a new yeah, DM, yeah. Making, and and it's interesting because um, part of part of the um, uh, loss of disbelief on my part with teleporters is of course, they're absolutely trivial to implement in a role-playing game or even a computer game. Totally arbitrary. You get an XY coordinate, change the XY coordinate. You're wherever you want. Super easy feature to add. In reality, mind-bogglingly in violation of all principles of physics, right? <laughs> so, so, it, 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 so to my mind, it would, take, it would take the top level, right? It would take the, the, an immense amount of magical might in order to in order to create this and to me it feels like a little bit of a lazy it's a little bit lazy design frankly um and i tried i i'm not entirely sure i've ever put a teleporter in my own dungeons i kind of huh. really i kind i, I kind of don't like them i mean i can make them again, again as a player i can fight through it but i don't i don't recommend it in dungeons frankly I will say, let's see, I, I have a one good teleporter story, which comes from running um, Stonehell. And, and in Stonehell, it's not like, it's not, I don't believe that the teleporter is placed there specifically to confound or, or make it, it's not like a, whoops, I just happened to walk through the space in this random hallway and now I'm somewhere else. Um, I think it was specifically like, the hallway dead ends, there's a, there's a, you know, rune carved on the on the wall, and you have to touch it, and touching it activates the teleporter, and you go somewhere else, right? And just takes you to another part of the dungeon. Now, I had uh, a group playing through that, and you know, somebody touches it, they disappear, and the whole party goes, "Ah, crap!" Right? Because now they're thinking, "Okay, well, either either that character is lost, and that sucks, and and like that player is just gonna have to sit out, you know, or." We all have to follow, right? And we all have to potentially get lost uh, or die because who knows? Who right. knows where, what happened to that person? Maybe Might be a sphere of annihilation. Might be yep, a sphere of knows? annihilation. Right. And so the group discusses it and they decide eventually, okay, we're all going to go through. We're just, you know, we're all in this together. We're going to figure it out. And one by one, they each touch the, um, they each touch the rune and disappear until it gets to the very last player who's playing like a level two magic user. He walks up to it and he goes, Nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm leaving. No thanks. Uh, and it was quite delightful, actually, because I, I ended up having that player come for a solo session later to see if he could escape the dungeon on Great. his own. Great. Because there is no Great. return, right? So we just, we just, I just went, okay, well, we're gonna, I'm gonna 
you know, you can uh, you can sit and watch, or you can you know you can leave and come back. I can't even remember if he left or, or what happened exactly, but wow. I, I put focus on the other players and said, okay, you you know, and then we ran through what they were going through, and then later I had a one on one session with him about what happened to his character, and and the the outcome was delightful, and then there was a even more delightful moment when the when the rest of the party tries to find him. Um, That's great. So it was, it was very good. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it with the next time that the whole group was gathered together, he had a new character, and his character's new character's goal was to find his old character. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So Great. It was, it was really nice. <laughs> really nice. Can, while we're, okay, so while we're swapping uh, war yeah. stories, uh, can I tell my yeah. rap and ethics story? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, because that's certainly now, that's very pertinent, right? Because that's maze. This is how it came up on Thursday, frankly, as I was remembering yeah, this. Yeah. Is some number of years ago, before we started the channel here, we had a long weekend where I was uh, running our, our friends uh, through Rap and Athic. Paul was a player, and specifically, Paul took the the the, the mapper role. And uh, as you wander on Rap and Athic, uh, and again, there's a couple spoilers here, so apologies for that. Uh, uh, not 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 huge ones, frankly, for a couple of reasons. Level level six is called the maze. Okay, so level, level you get to level six A, I believe it's called the maze. And uh, level six and level seven, level seven I think has some Minotaur King on it. They both have maps, and then th there's a passageway, and then there's a place where it just gets fuzzy, <laughs> and the map either just has like a question mark on it, or just like a just a blank space with not even any grid on it. And these, there's a, probably about a dozen of these places, and the that refers you in the text to here's a mazy section. Here's a mazy section, and it recommends. It says, "Well, we're, we're going to give you some samples. We're giving you some samples of what the maze could look like, but we encourage the DM to customize the mazy, confusing section, and you should have." secret sliding doors and it should change behind the players and they shouldn't be able to map it. And it says, you can have a lot of fun. You can have a lot of fun screwing with your players. So DMs go to town, do what you want. Now at the time I am playing with the 2012 and again, rap and ethics made by uh, Bill Webb and Clark Peterson and friends. And so I'm using the, the 2012 swords and wizardry product that itself is largely based on the 2006 Rap and Athic Reloaded uh, with different stats thrown in for Swords and Wizardry, this 2012. And so led by Paul, <clears throat> players get here and I turn to, I'm like, you know, I, I don't have time to make a ad lib a maze right now. So I turn to sample maze number one and I'm, well, I'm gonna do that. And Paul, if we could take a look at that if you bring up the green bullet image. So here's sample maze number one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember uh, the party going in the, to the top there, and there's the first branch, and Paul is very carefully, you'd say, okay, so I can go 10 feet south, or I guess I can go 60 feet to the east, right? And off we go. And I'm sure Paul had no idea that it was going to be this complicated and long for map number one uh, <laughs> out, of, out of 12. Uh, yeah. and I, you know, bad on me, I couldn't anticipate how long this was going to take. Um, and somehow at the time I was blind to, I'm going to be interacting solely with Paul and everybody else is going to be waiting around for some resolution to this. 
but you know, I went, I, I, the first time through, I totally went right at it and uh, as written, as usual, mm-hmm. uh, which is my probably my major flaw. And I think that like maybe you remember what happened later. I think like on the second go through, I think I might have started hand waving it, possibly. Like I don't know how long it took the first time. It probably took at least an hour and a half, right? I seem, and, I seem to recall this was this was over a long weekend, right? It was probably yeah. it was one of my birthdays, right? So it was it was a long yeah, weekend, yeah. a bunch of players all gathered together, and yeah. I feel like the first time you ran it was the evening or something. So we all had mm-hmm. time to sleep on it or had a break or you know had a meal or something, and there was discussion about what did we think of that, right? And, yeah. and I think universally yeah. the the feedback was that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. I'm sure that you then you rolled with that and then kind of said, okay, well, here's consolation. I'm just gonna, we're just gonna hand wave some of this and just say like, okay, eventually you figure out your way through. It takes this much This time. is an interesting aspect of late era Dan that yeah. I could at least, I, I, I could spend <laughs> between two and four hours on this and then listen to my players at dinner and then actually respond and change what was happening. Because early edition Dan wouldn't have done wouldn't have done that. But I, I, I think I started hand waving it and saying this is going to take a certain number of wandering monster checks to get through. I think is what I was doing, um, mm-hmm. and that's how we played at least the rest of the weekend. Now, fast forward some number of years, and I get my hands on the first publication of Rapanathic, which was uh, two thousand one. Right when uh, Necromancer Games was first founded, and we're in the th- third edition D and D D twenty system era, and this is the first time that you could actually put D and D on your third party product, and of course Bill Webb jumped at that possibility, and um, in, and what I what I discovered this is this is totally reverse temporal order, but what I discovered in the first the first version of Rapanathic is could you pull up the blue bullet? text mm-hmm. got some highlight text there okay so here is the original and it's pretty similar with a couple of changes the original description for this um the the book doesn't have any samples doesn't have any sample mazes what it says is actual maze descriptions are left to the dm dms should improvise or alter each section to frustrate and bewilder their pcs to provide a sufficient level of difficulty require an hour of game time per section to locate the exit the maze affords DMs a rare opportunity to play, toy players have fun. So basically, in original D&D, right, if the point is to require a an hour of game time per section, that means roll six wandering monsters, and you'll probably have one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. what the mazes are supposed to be, basically. Six rolls for a wandering monster and probably getting one. And that's ultimately what I wound up doing, right? And I'm like, well, they should have just told me that. <laughs> they should have told oh. me that because that's what I wound up doing anyway. But this is that that's kind of sort of not the most lunatic thing in the world. But the problem is, right, when they did reload it, they said, oh, you want more content? You want more content? Well, we'll give you more content. We'll give you these giant <laughs> freaking mazes. We'll give you these giant endless mazes. And no, they, Bill Webb didn't play like that. He didn't play through those yeah. mazes, but he he got somebody to make additional content. And you these get these giant, endless friggin' mazes. Um, I will briefly point out that our friend of the show, Justin Alexander, on his website made replacement mazes, and they're much more reasonable. 
They're like about 10 by 10 squares or something I, like that. I, I'm just I would recommend you there, but anyway. I'm, I'm reading this text here, and I have to say, right. like, my first instinct there of requiring an hour of game time, I, I thought it was talking about, like, an hour of, like, real playtime of, like, mm -hmm. an hour yeah. of our actual time must be spent yeah. dealing with this. And now, then I was going to say, God, no, please. But I, I can see <laughs> that maybe, it, <laughs> maybe you're talking about, like, an hour of in-world of fiction I, time, right? That's what I'm that taking what it as. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I'm wrong about I mean, that. Maybe you meant real game time and not in-game time. Well, the next um, sentence But I'll say that the, the sample mazes we got took way longer than an hour to play know, through. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the ne very next sentence says that PC's attempts to retrace their steps prove futile, and the shifting nature of the maze prohibits classical means of maze solving. So, like, yeah, it clearly is saying that, like, you know, the maze is going to be different every... And is that what they're going at with these samples? Is that, like, the next time we enter, it should be a totally different maze? That's yeah. rough. That is rough. And uh, and and it's, like, all up above... I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure... What, so, on the one hand, this text here says you just can't interact with it in any rational way. And the on the other hand, this text has a lot of detail about how that happens, because further up above, it says all shifting, sliding walls move every time a door is opened. Uh, the doors are magically constructed, so only one door per room may be open at a time. And and, and the DMs should intentionally give PCs wrong directions. That is, left right. becomes right at all times, which is but now which is again to thinking that he's talking about spending an actual hour of playtime. Because like, what's the point of how is this an opportunity to toy with the players? It's not really an opportunity to toy with the players if you're saying I'm just going to roll six dice and give you that many watering monsters, and then we're done, and you find the exit. Right, that's not right. really toying yeah. with the players. Right. Toying with the players is—is is this what he talks about of saying that, um, you know, uh, that you should shift which way is left and right, mm -hmm. right? Intentionally mm -hmm. give PCs wrong directions. Clearly, it sounds yeah. like you're describing stuff, and you're just—and that—and that maybe makes sense about how you're ad-libbing this because you're ad-libbing a nonsensical maze that can't even mm -hmm. be mapped. So you could right. just ad-lib it by, right. right? Yeah. So that's where you're toying right. with players, right? You're right. just—you're just. You're just Right. giving them wrong information and making the map for incredibly frustrated, right? Because they're going, uh, this, this section doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. That's, that's crazy. That, right. Right. That's, that's tough. And, and as usual, you know, if I get, if I get a product, my, def my personal default is to just trust it. My default is to trust that it's put together reasonably. And I, I, over my, you know, time, I have repeatedly, run my head directly into a brick wall of something that wasn't play tested, wasn't really well, well thought out. And this is, this was one of these horrible accidents. Yeah. I don't, I don't object to the idea of a dungeon, including a section where there is a weird magical maze that is very difficult to get through. Mm -hmm. I just feel like uh, what needs to happen is that the DM just needs to describe that words to the players. You enter an area where the walls seem to shift and directions turn and you quickly get lost in this horrible, horrible maze. And then have mm -hmm. a mechanic for how do they get out, right? Oh, how do we get out? Okay, I don't know, roll these dice or whatever or something, or it takes this much time. Right? And that's a, that's a really interesting exercise in sort of stake setting, right? I'm going to roll this yep. die and it's going to determine how much in-game time it takes you to solve this maze. We're not going to actually spend time frustrating you. Yep. Yep. Now, I will, before our time runs out, I'll say that on, on, on good surprises that I've had, uh, one thing that I was very pleasantly surprised by, and I haven't done a lot of campaign play on Roll20, right? So now we have 
obviously virtual tabletops and things like that. And so I was, uh, for some of our friends, running uh, a, a pre-made dungeon actually by Rob Kuntz, as a matter of fact. Um, and, I, and, and they weren't, they weren't actively mapping at the time, but this got my, my mind thing is I was revealing little parts of the dungeon um, on roll 20. And all of a sudden, whereas normally our friend Max actually takes over mapping duties for that group, all of a sudden, accidentally, without me saying anything, everyone was engaged with the map. And everybody involved was making annotations on it. They were annotating, oh, there's a carpet here and there's a little thing not on the map here and annotating where they found a monster or a person or some or a trap or something like that. And just accidentally, the fact that the interface to the map was available to everybody, people that had never been engaged in mapping in our games were suddenly very, very engaged with adding extra detail to our maps. So I haven't had an opportunity to um, execute on this, but I feel it at least opens the door to, again, this main issue of how do you make what you're doing engaging for everybody. Maybe you could use something like Roll20, have the fundamental interface be that the players are mapping, but now everybody's engaged with it. Everybody's conversing about it. Uh, maybe may, what, what I found very briefly was that people were engaged with that, that activity. I've not really been able to replicate this since we played the, the birthday game that got streamed, but uh, anybody who watched that stream will note that um, what I was doing is I had a projector uh, that was projecting the map onto the table, and I was slowly revealing sections of it, but there were many maps, right? There are many levels to the thing we we're playing. And so after you like left the section, I just removed that from the table and it was gone. So there was still mapping to be done in as much as I believe, Dan, you were the mapper in that game and you were transcribing mm -hmm. what you saw. And it was mostly accurate, right? It was mo every now and then there was a little error here or there just because of timing or, or mistake or what have you. Um, but I found that really satisfying because then you still created the artifacts of the maps. And then later in the game, when you were trying to figure out, okay, well, there's clearly a hidden level somewhere. This, this thing that we can't find must be here somewhere. And you would get out all the maps and the whole table again would pour over all the maps and look at them. And I was very pleased with that because I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and flip things on the projector for you, but you created actual physical maps and that was delightful. So I really like that, that sort of combo of, something like roll 20 or projector or whatever that's revealing stuff but it is ephemeral right it is and as dm i'm going to remove this from in front of you at an arbitrary time so if you want a record of it you're going to have to draw that it worked well it worked super well people if you have, people haven't seen our dyson's logos game we should you should they should watch that because it worked it works really well yeah this is very early yeah. in our streaming career so i will warn everybody as i always do that the first uh one or two episodes have some audio issues. Apologies. We figured yeah. it out eventually, but yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Dude, like, every, like everything. Like yeah, everything. Yeah. 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 Um, and this, and this, I think there was a question earlier in the chat about like, how would you do this with miniatures? How would you do a maze with miniatures? And I think like, that's the answer for me is, um, if I was using miniatures in play, yeah, I would I would figure out a way to kind of reveal bit by bit and then just say if you want to transcribe this transcribe it, but then I'm gonna I'm not gonna I'm never gonna draw the whole maze in front of you and I'm never you know, gonna give you little pieces and I'm gonna erase and redraw. That's if you have if you have something to do that with and obviously you had this really elaborate projector set up at the time, uh, it works well. 
It actually does yeah, work well. Yeah, you could, you could like, like I said, like you could do this with like, you know, your standard yeah. wet erase, you know, grid yep. battle map. Agreed. Right? Would have Agreed. worked just as easily, I think. Yep. Not as I even here, I think that, I think that Arneson did, did it, kind of did it that way, is you'd explore right. and then he actually would draw, I guess on a hex map, um, mm -hmm. particular encounters and erase them. So um, that's, that's a, a clear yeah. core possibility. I like that. I like that method. Yeah. Uh, we are just about out of time here, Dan. Any final thoughts on mazes? I think that um, uh, right off the bat, right, we knew that the key, the mistake that I've made in the past is whatever you're doing, everybody at the table has to be engaged. So um, I, I, I think I want to still keep exploring, you know, that's season of the Minotaurs right in our core in our mythology. So I think I want to keep exploring the possibility of mazes but I would start small. I wouldn't have a giant elaborate labyrinth. I'd have, I'd have kind of maybe a small place that a specific treasure you're trying to get on the other side, see how my players interact with it and find uh, some way to have everybody engage with it, not just one player. So that could be a big whiteboard. Uh, that could be, uh, and I was thinking uh, one of our uh, commenters right here, Josh was saying, get a really big sheet of paper. Like have the map, just get a really big sheet of paper and have the map on that um, so everybody can see it is it seems like a strong possibility or virtual tabletop and have everybody see it all at once. Um, and I think that being mindful about that might make it something. And now it pro and that probably only works for a limited group of people. For example, um, when you and I, I just remind, I'll just briefly recall, Paul, when you and I played in Bill Webb's game at GaryCon with 27 people going through Rappanathic, he did, there was no mapping. He didn't have a secret map. He didn't have any mazy sections. There was a giant sized tapestry recreation of Rappanathic's first level covering the entire huge conference table. Everybody could see it. Everybody could interact with it. If Bill had been interacting with one single person mapping with 26 people not engaged, that would have been a nightmare. So see, you know, see if it's working for your play group, modify it for different players or different number of players. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely be mind, you know, number one, be mindful about whether everybody's engaged. I think I, I still take a slightly more cynical view where I'd say, just don't do it. Just don't have mazes. I advise against it. Um, huh. But if you must, if you must um, think think through what the purpose of the maze is and abstract where you can. So, for example, if the point of the maze is that the players might get lost, uh, they might uh, it might take them a very long time to navigate. They might uh, lose a lot of resources, spend a lot of resources trying to find their way out of it. Uh, they might have a certain number of combats. All of those things can be kind of boiled down into. Uh, some kind of check or, or you know, a die roll of some kind, and then you can just abstract it and describe. Yes, uh, you you enter this maze and it's very difficult to navigate, and you spend a lot of time roll the dice. It takes you three hours to get to the end, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe the players come up with clever ideas. Oh, we have a I have a ball of string. I'm gonna you know leave a trail behind me so I can solve help me solve this thing. Great, I'll give you a minus two to the roll for number of hours or whatever it is. Right. I like it, you know, I, totally fair. And you know, another thing that actually kind of grinds my gears is I'm not super fond when these adventures say, the ball of string trick won't work. I'm actually not super fond about them immediately. Your cell phones don't work here, 
right? If they yeah, give yeah. the players some way to actually come up with a clever solution, uh, I mean, you know, some kind of interaction, yeah, definitely do that. I, before we before we start, I will also say that in researching this, I found a, a really well written article uh, from two years back on PC Gamer Magazine by Edwin Evans Thurwell that c goes through this the same thought process about computer games, right? Computer games used to have lots of mazes like Pool of Radiance were a really core feature of gameplay uh, in Pac-Man or other games. They, the, arguably the first first person shooter was a game called Maze in 1974. And again, kind of fallen out of favor, kind of frowned on. So go read that article and see, see kind of the, the, the legacy of, uh, for, for all the same reasons, frankly, why mazes have gone away from both our game form and computer games. Viewers, if you have some thoughts on uh, use of mazes in D&D, &D, uh, other ideas of how to make it work, or um, specific cases, uh, any any games, any modules you can think of that have a maze that you really like, that you thought worked really well, or uh, anecdotes about your players going through such a maze, please leave us some comments here in the YouTube video, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll be happy to read them and maybe incorporate that into a future discussion. Definitely. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. We're on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites. So look for this there and you'll get updates on upcoming shows. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can do so. Those files are available on our website at wanderingdms.com. You can also find those on various podcast carriers such as iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts. If you're listening to this show right now on one of those sites and it offers the ability to do so, please rate and review our show. It helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And, of course, big thanks to our patrons who support the show every week. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms, and you'll see our different tiers and uh, benefits, including access to our Discord server, where the conversation is always continuing 24-7. And like Paul said, we'll be there in about 10 minutes uh, to continue the conversation in our live after chat with our viewers there. So if you're not on, uh, if you're not a patron, uh, jump into our $1 tier and get our Discord server, and we would love to hear your further thoughts in a couple minutes. Uh, now, Paul, I think we're gonna uh, we're gonna be off next week. Is that right? That's right. Next weekend is Labor Day weekend, and uh, some of us, yours truly included, are uh, going on vacation. So we'll be off for a week, and uh, and uh, we'll see you the following week. Uh, I will be uh, back on Thursday night. Uh, pretty sure uh, Dan Cullen will be back here for another episode of uh, Book of War. Um, and then we'll be off uh, next weekend, like Paul said. So uh, look for us there. And uh, as you know, we're usually live on Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again in two weeks for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.